The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Happy Friday the 13th, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the show. As was tradition on my previous podcast, thus will it carry on via the Brandon Peters Show. Our magic hat has drawn 1993's Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday for this time around. Returning to continue our Crystal Lake conversations from JoeBlow.com and the all-new Sounds Scary, just wrapping its first season, Jimmy O, James Oster. And we have a new, I have an, actually a new podcast literally that started today called Something Stony. So there oh, you go. Right. Introducing to you the co-programmer at Music Box of Horrors Drive-In and the co-host of the Halloweenies podcast, Mike Vanderbilt. Hey, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there, ladies and gents. Thank you for having me. I have been a tremendous fan of Jason Goes to Hell since I saw it opening day, Friday, the thir- Friday August 13th, 1993, and I've been a big advocate of it ever since, so I'm happy to be on this uh, this show with y'all today. I think we're going to have some fun. And we're happy to have you, and thanks to friend Katie Reif for putting this together. That was awesome. Of her. It was funny when she does, she texts me, because like, she does not enjoy Jason Goes to Hell as much as I do, <laughs> and um, <sighs> you know, <laughs> I know, the Philistines, Heartbreaking, right? heartbreaking. Philistines. <laughs> But I love the fact that she said, oh, but I know the guy that you want to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we programmed it. I mean, we programmed it. I I fought Mm -hmm. rather when I joined the programming team at Music Box of Horrors this year, because usually it's a 24 hour uh, film festival at the Music Box Theater in Chicago, up in the Wrigleyville Lakeview area. And uh, we obviously couldn't do that this year because of COVID. So Ryan Ostrike, the GM of the Music Box Theater, was like, I want to do a drive in in Pilsen on the south side, 31 Nights of Horror, double features on weekends. And the one movie I really fought for was Jason Goes to Hell, because it's a favorite of mine. And particularly with the release of the Shout Factory box set, I feel like it's having its Halloween 3 season of the witch moment as we speak. And uh, it was kind of my mission. It was a Sunday. We were doing sequel Sundays. And honestly, I'll be honest that the sequel Sundays didn't do all that well. It's like, I think mostly because it was a Sunday night thing, but we sold out. Jason goes to hell. So I think there's a lot, and most of the audience hadn't seen it before. And I think people have been avoiding it because of its reputation. But anybody who I tracked down afterwards, you know, looking through social media to see how people enjoyed my event, my baby. um, Yeah. Hey, what'd you think? I did get some interviews for the upcoming documentary from Adam Marcus about people who were there to see it. Oh, nice. Um, Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think people really responded well to it. And like I said, I think it's uh, it's having its moment right now. Excellent. And you're, of course, obviously a fan of the franchise, but where, for you, people know where Jimmy and I began kind of with it. Where where did you start off loving Friday the 13th? Yeah, absolutely. So I joked that, so somewhere between 1987 and 1988, I went from being terrified of horror movies to absolutely loving horror movies with my mother buying my me my first issue of Fangoria, which I still have, which was Freddy Krueger on the cover advertising the dream master with the headline Freddy's last movie, which (laughs) (laughs) 
We learned not to be true. And I just remember like being aware of the Friday the 13th franchise. I remember being scared that we I remember the neighborhood kids, we had a sleepover and everybody was talking about how they were going to rent it and we we're going to watch it. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to handle this. And then mom put the, <laughs> somebody's mom put the kibosh on that and we watched Star Trek four instead. But eventually somewhere between 87 and 88, me and my mom, and my sister settled down on a, you know, some weeknight and showtime to watch Friday the 13th part five, a new beginning. And we watched ah, it and wow. we enjoyed it. And we were disappointed in a lack of Jason. Like a real like But you had no idea. So so like the next weekend, like that Saturday or following Saturday, we rented the original Friday the thirteenth. And we're <laughs> Still had once again disappointed in a lack of Jason. <laughs> Is he even in these? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, like, what is this? Like, I've been hearing. Did you him. go to two next and be like, "Where's the hockey match?" <laughs> no, I believe that like, I got pranked. It's <laughs> the best order I've ever heard of watching. I know. I believe the next one. I and remember. I'm seven, eight, nine years old when we're doing this. Yeah. Oh my I gosh! Mean, my ma, like, she, she could be like, you know fussy about some things, but as far as pop culture, what I listen to, what I watch, uh, she didn't care. She bought me, like I said, Fangoria Mad Magazine, and it was kind of like I said, it was like this covenant between us that if I buy you these, you'll be on your best behavior till like you're 18, 19, right? You're like, you won't knock anybody up, you won't get into drink or drugs, right? And <laughs> for the most part that worked, but I believe the next <laughs> I believe the next one was Friday the 13th, Jason Lives, which from that day I saw it, again, on Showtime, you know, some weeknight thing, I absolutely fell in love with it and fell in love with, uh, of course, the uh, theme song, He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask by Al yeah, yeah, So good. So and then good. just, you know, like uh, any other horror-loving kid, eventually work your way down a franchise. And for a long Definitely. time, couldn't tell them apart because you, if you rented one, two, and three, it would be very hard to decipher, if you watched them all in order, which one was which until I get older. Now I'm like, when people come in, to the bar. I attend bar at the Rock Island Public House in Blue Island in Illinois. And people are like, oh, which Friday the 13th is this? I'm like, you don't know? Get out of here. Come on. <laughs> Dweeb. Yeah, 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 you big fucking dork. Come on. Yeah, it's like that. that... The White Claw will be $5. Yes. <laughs> give me your money. Give me your money. Go sit. Give me your money. Go sit outside. <laughs> you know, funny enough, you and I have a similar, like, one of my my first instance of watching one was catching like the tail end of part five when I was a kid on WGN of all channels mm-hmm. and watching it. So what my, my first experience was a new beginning as well. You also have the Halloweenies podcast, which goes through things like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, like one by one. And this year you're on Friday the 13th. So, is that correct? Uh, the show started about, show started three years ago and they, uh, every year they do one of the big horror franchises. The first year they did Halloween. And I wasn't on that season. And for Nightmare on Elm Street, which I'm still disappointed I wasn't on the whole season, because that is, if we get to it later, that is my favorite franchise of the big 80s franchises. Mm. Uh, but I, they had me come on for five and six, because I believe that the, let's say, I don't want to say worst, but the least, the lowest ranking Nightmare on Elm Street is still 100 to a million times more imaginative and exciting than the best Halloween sequel. So I'm a big fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And then they asked me to come on full time for Friday the 13th, which actually has always been one of my favorites. I do have a Jason tattoo on my arm. I was always a big fan. I think I think if you were ever in Boy Scouts, you have a certain love for Friday the 13th because you spent oh. enough time in the woods where it spoke to you a little mm-hmm. bit the same way Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street 
might speak to because everybody dreams. Everybody lives in a, you know, a house, possibly right. in a, a suburban area. And if you were a Boy Scout, you spent a lot of time in the woods. Not all of us live in Texas, so we can't really... <laughs> yeah, like that yeah. one, of course, yeah, that one never... Although that steel door still gets under my skin. Right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, it's That's... still a hauntingly terrifying movie, but I'm trying to raise those three up a little level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I found full time next year. It's already been announced. I'll tell it. I'll tell it here in case anybody knows. Next year we're doing the Scream franchise. Hopefully leading up to Part Five, which we hope gets released next year. But to <laughs> fill, round out the rest of the year, we are going to do Randy's recommendations off of his oh, video ball, okay. where we're going to talk about oh. some of the other slasher movies like Prom Night. That will probably <laughs> the series is never going to tackle the Prom Night franchise, probably. But we'd love to talk about oh, that first one. Well, it's. It's not about who you go with; it's who who takes you home. Yeah. <laughs> the the day. All right. Well, uh, it's awesome. And you also—I got to mention this. You sent me today. You cut a trailer for your drive-in screening of Jason Goes to Hell, which was hilarious. It was Just, cut. It was cut to one-way ticket to hell uh, by mm-hmm. the darkness, which. Uh, I just thought it was cool to have the one-way ticket to hell. Like that—that's funny. Mm-hmm. But the the coke snorting noises that are actually part of the song <laughs> that I worked into the trailer, I, I think kind of give. If you've never seen Jason Goes to Hell before, it kind of gives you a good idea how this may have happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do love the part that you open it with the classic Paul in part from part two telling the the story of the original Friday the Thirteenth and the opening of that film, the campfire, and then you fade out and they go, and then he also this, and he also this, and he all, like you added the, the ridiculous well, like, he also, stuff. He also had a sister you never heard of. He's got a shaving fetish. He can swap <laughs> bodies like in that movie, The Hidden, and there's a bounty hunter on the show. Because I absolutely love when you think about it from 1980 until 1993 like it went from this story of a vengeful mother this kind of mm-hmm. agatha christie inspired giallo ripoff kind of a little bit of a melodrama mm-hmm. into the slash movie to this wild supernatural body swapping thing that it, it, it this is where you ended up i just found that absolutely hilarious Right. We'll talk. We'll hit back on that when we get to it. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's dig in to Jason Goes to Hell. Horror has many faces, but pure evil wears only one. And this is your final chance to see it. Goes to Hell, the final Friday. Rated R. Starts Friday, August 13th at a theater near you. It's directed by Adam Marcus, starring Kane Hodder, John D. LeMay, Carrie Keegan, Stephen Williams, Stephen Culp, and Aaron Gray. In this ninth entry, after being blown away by a team of FBI agents, Jason Voorhees needs to find a way to overcome certain death when his bloodied remains are sent to the morgue. His heart, still intact, is able to hypnotize a coroner, take over his body. After brutally dispatching a couple of FBI agents, he heads back to his favorite stomping grounds, Crystal Lake. This is a big jump in the series because it goes from Paramount to New Line Cinema, the home of Freddy, which through the last couple entries with Paramount, New Line and them have been trying to work out making Freddy versus Jason, which I think they talked about it with Seven, but... Eight was Jason Takes Manhattan was supposed to be Freddy versus Jason, and they just could not agree on and, financials and who won. As far as I understand, like the idea was really born in '86 with Part Six because Tommy McLaughlin, the writer director of that one, had been asked would he 
consider doing a uh, Freddy versus Jason movie because they really wanted to bring the audience mm-hmm. back after the lackluster response to five. And yes. part seven really was the one that was supposed to be Freddy versus Jason, right. which they reworked into the telekinetic girl. Right. And then the director for eight was hired on as the director of Freddy versus yes. Jason. And then he had to, they had to pivot that. And after Jason takes Manhattan does poorly for them at the box office, they sell off the character of Jason Voorhees, not Friday the 13th, right. and not the not the events that happened from 1 through 8. And this is where all that complex legal shit and why you can't exactly remake and stuff. So this was the only one that kept the Friday because they call it the final Friday. It's the second time they finaled the series because 4 was the final chapter. And, you know, that's a clever ending to how Jason goes to hell the final Friday. So I, okay, I love the obnoxious. You know what that is. I love the obnoxiousness yeah. of the title, especially because Paramount still owned the rights to the title Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. So then the new line, hashtag new line November, which this will be running during, become Jason movies. And there's yeah. this kind of distinguishing quality to them. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, this one also has Sean Cunningham back in a producer role where the tagline was the creator of the first returns to bring which, the last. Which, which is absolutely ridiculous because there's anybody who hates Jason Voorhees. Nobody hates right. Jason Voorhees more than Sean Cunningham because he always thought it was absolutely ridiculous that he be, Jason became the the focus of the right. series after the original film. Yeah, he wanted to anthology it like Carpenter did with Halloween yep. and they're like, Cause he. Yeah. Because as Adam Marcus told, I interviewed Adam Marcus for the Music Box of mm-hmm. Horrors, and we'll be running that interview as part of the Halloweenies uh, podcast, a bonus episode next week. He said, Adam Marcus said, because, and he was good friends with Sean Cunningham. Marcus right, he grew ran, up with him. Right. He, yeah. ran, he ran coffee at the set of Jason Goes to Hell. He was friends with uh, Cunningham's kid. He said, Cunningham never saw an idea that John Carpenter came up with that he didn't want to rip off. <laughs> Well, they, they act like it's Cunningham coming back to embrace the series, and, and it was basically, go make a movie. <laughs> like that's pretty much what it seemed the like funny thing. The only was. thing, the only real input Cunningham had was get rid of the fucking hockey mask. Right? Yeah. Like, why would it gave us one of the most unique entries in the series? Absolutely. And you said you saw it opening day. I did. Mike, did you go to the theater, Jimmy? Yes, I did. I saw the opening weekend. I believe I saw opening the Friday because I it's Friday the Thirteenth. It's my favorite <laughs> franchise. But I was younger. Yeah. I'm probably older than both of you. Uh, <laughs> I love the first four. They're they're easily my well the first four and six. Oh, and without a was, doubt, that's the best. Those are absolutely. The best franchise. But I I you know I kind of went in thinking this is stupid as fuck, but I enjoyed it. And I was <laughs> it's one that I was like, you know I I bought when it came out like the 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 first release it came out on DVD. I'm like well of course I'm going to buy it because there was so much good in it that I. And I, you know, I ended up really enjoying it. And I actually, uh, you know, I got to work with Aaron Gray on a play oh. years later. And I didn't care about it. I was like, as much as I, you know, I knew Buck Rogers. I was sure. like, ooh, who can we talk about? Jason goes to hell. <laughs> the thing goes between your legs. It goes, yeah. what was that she, like? What was yeah, that like? What did she have to say about that? Because she doesn't seem like she was too happy about uh what happened on the production? She, you know, she didn't talk a lot about it. I, I didn't, I definitely didn't get the the sense that she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of that film. Did not get that sense. <laughs> but I didn't get the sense that she hated it. I didn't get the sense that was like, you know, I mean, but I'm like, I thought she's great in it. I love Singer in it. Without I, a doubt. Yeah, I she's not bad fa- in the movie at all. No, no, no. And I like the fact that it was, Adults, like a lot of adults, right, yeah. and this is one of the few Friday the Thirteenth that's it's it's not thirty year olds 
playing 16 year olds. It's actually 30 year olds, you know, playing 30 year olds. Well, and the teens that go to camp aren't even. They're, no, they're not <laughs> teens. They're not. They're not really teens. They seem like they're in their mid 20s. They seem like they're in their mid 20s, especially Absolutely. if she's putting the moves on uh, the one girl's putting the moves on old John D. LeMay. But that was one of the big things that Adam Marcus. So I was uh, going through my old Fangorias, which I still have in my old. Uh, hold on. Wait, if I got. Oh, wait, let's see. Oh, wow. I've got a uh, monsters attack with uh, Jason on the cover. Oh, I've got oh, the wow. Jason goes to hell official <gasps> movie magazine. And then this Fangoria, like, uh, like Jason go biggest, largest, biggest coverage ever. What's funny about the interviews is like Adam Marcus was a big advocate for that. He wanted to have adults living their own lives and Jason intrudes on this. But the thing that I really kind of love about these contemporary interviews is that everybody in them horror Twitter would lose their minds if they read these interviews and I'm going to make it a point to post them so that they do. And <laughs> because everybody in the interviews, all the actors are saying, this isn't like your typical stupid horror movie. This mm. is smarter than this. And it's always funny to me because they always bring up the sense of logic that Jason right. goes to hell brings to the series. <laughs> it makes sense now. <laughs> I, I think it's funny. Well, for, first of all, like I, I saw this movie VHS. I'm the young person here probably but this was the first <laughs> oh, wow this was the first new one when i was going through the series this, right I, I like i didn't get you had waited for this one yeah and so luckily i got the uncut version as my first experience with it i got to see oh, it. Nice. when it came on vhs it came in the uncut version and being younger so and not as affluent film wise still learning and just really getting into these movies this was a the changeup really made it more intense. Having adults around and a baby made it a bit more mm-hmm. intense for me. Oh yeah! So I was on board with this from the beginning, and I just was like, "Oh, well, how creative!" And this is nifty. Now I look back at some things as eh, okay, it's kind of stupid, silly. But I luckily, when I first saw it, I was the right age to have it impact me. I think that well. has a lot to do with it. Like this is truly a movie made for thirteen-year-old boys, and I was thirteen. <laughs> oh when my I saw gosh! It. Yeah. I was 13 when I saw it. My dad took me and the neighborhood kids and my brother, who was seven, to see opening the after, like first showing of the day, Ford City 14, Chicago South Side. The theater's packed for an afternoon oh, show on Friday oh, afternoon. Yeah. Okay. With the most vocal audience I have ever been in. <laughs> really? Really? Hooting and hollering. I will never forget that uh, the moment when uh, I think her name is Vicky or Betty jumps mm-hmm. over and grabs the uh, the shotgun and cocks oh, it yeah, in the that, good, that big shot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just somebody that screams, oh, damn, that's a double barrel. And then, <laughs> I mean, spoilers, oh, the moment spoiled, when, Fred, when Freddy's glove comes out and grabs Jason's glove and pulls it down to hell, just the whole audience chanting, chanting Freddy, Freddy, Freddy. I I never experienced anything like it. So uh, when I talk about my adoration for this movie, I'll admit like a lot of it has to do with nostalgia of that screening because I grew up in the era where people were kind of quiet during movies. Whereas the seventies people, like I always hear stories about star Wars where people went nuts, booing Mm -hmm. the villains and cheering when the death star blew up. I never had that except for going to see Jason goes to hell. Halloween was the same thing, by the way. I mean, the original Halloween People were fucking screaming. People were going yeah. insane. Yeah, I never had that. I have always, like, my big one, my Star Wars was Tim Burton's Batman. That was the first larger-than-life mm. movie. I did have a guy I worked with long back when I lived in Los Angeles. He was an editor on Quantum Leap. Love that. I was like, we need to be friends. He told me when he saw Rocky 
back in the day when that first came out, people during the final fight yeah. were standing up in the theater like it was a real boxing match almost. I'm like, I, I would love that. to experience something like that. Yeah. But, Jason Goes to Hell was it for me. It certainly, was, <laughs> yeah. it certainly wasn't any of the Star Wars prequels. It was more just kind of befud- befuddled disappointment as people shuffled out of the theater. Right. Oh, man. Jason Goes to Hell, they try something new, and it's very much in place in its time. If you look at all the horror franchises at this time, they Freddy, Jason, Leatherface, they all, and Michael Myers... We all had to know what the real truth was behind the evil. Like this right. was a time where they expanded the mythology to these ridiculous levels, where it's like Michael Myers. I'm like, he was just a kid who stabbed his his sister, and he comes back and stalks another, and it turned into like, oh, it's this cult. There's these runes, and and it was the night of, and he's got a switch all, and and it's all that. Freddy I don't find that a- on the Empire Strikes Back. Like, right. like it's always like you have to find out there's some familial collection co- connection. Right. Freddie had his, and then and like the daughter, and here's uh, the only a Voorhees can do, and he, <laughs> it, it's messy. It's fan fiction, and it's it, very much like that. But hell with it. It's what it is, and it stands as this interesting time with the slashers when they were all on their last legs. Well, yeah, this is th- mm-hmm. four years after Manhattan, and Manhattan yeah. tanked at the box mm-hmm. office, mm-hmm. right? And let me. Uh, I want to. I want to propose a theory to you guys. Can I ask you a question? Let me ask you a bus question. Please. Please. You're welcome. Jason goes to hell. What number entry is this in the uh, Friday the Thirteenth overall franchise? Nine. Well, it's the ninth. Yeah. The ninth. Yeah. It's the ninth. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just fucked it up because I realized I did my math wrong. All right, uh, here it is. Jason goes to hell is the mm-hmm. last Jedi of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Okay. Okay. It asks you to destroy everything you ever knew about the Friday the 13th franchise. Okay. Take all those boring old ideas and we're going to reinvent it from here on out. And I think that that imagination, as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. is what makes this a memorable entry. And I'm always kind of surprised when people don't like it. Because, right. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think, what does it deliver? It gives you, I would argue just as much Jason on screen as any of the other entries. Uh, at least one through four, because you usually saw them in the shadows. Right. Mm-hmm. Fair the enough. The on the gore. It gives you yep. nudity. gives you some you know nice boobs. Like, <laughs> quality kills. Like, what else do you want from this thing? But, yeah, you know, let the past die. Like, you're right. why do you want to see another movie set at a camp? Right. And mm-hmm. it, it and what they do, it's and that's why I've always wondered. I'm like, people get so mad at a departure, and it's like, well, dude, you had like six movies previous with him and the hockey mask going after people. Yeah. You can seven if you want the sack with Jason, and then eight if you want a straight slasher. I mean, you you have those to go back to. We're at the ninth entry, and you got to do something different. And like Marcus, he looked at things and was like, okay, let's let's respect everything. Where do we go? Why does it like he's he's part of a generation of filmmakers that started like thinking about it. They started, it wasn't just, here's a dollar, go make a Jason. He was like, he really, he was a fan. He thought about things. He wanted to do something different. He figured a way to just make things a little more exciting because Jason's in plain sight now. He just looks like someone else that people can trust and welcome in. And it adds a different dimension. One thing too that I don't understand, like Friday the 13th fans, like gore, right? This is one of the mm-hmm. like this has goriest, like, cra- and it's a well, it holds up great. 
So in those contemporary interviews that I was talking about, the, they talked to the KNB guys a lot. They had met Marcus because Marcus was hanging around the set of Army of Darkness. Right. Because mm-hmm. Marcus strikes me as one of these kids who grew up in Hollywood who was always kind of sniffing around film sets and stuff, a lot like uh, John Landis did, and got a lot of PA jobs and stuff. But he was hanging out on the Army of Darkness set. He met these guys. And K&B says in all these, and this is another one of those contemporary interviews that I think would get K&B in trouble today with the quote-unquote horror community. They're like, the reason they agreed to do this movie was that they weren't going to have to do your typical Friday the 13th. Dance. Right. It's like, and they actually say when he was, Oh great. Another throat slash. Like how are you going to top what Savini did with that exactly. in the first mm-hmm. one or the fourth one? And they have all these wild body horror effects, which everybody loves. Everybody loves to name drop Cronenberg and mm-hmm. talk about all these melty body horror things. And this movie delivers more more of that than you ever got. Certainly better than the effect of Jason turning into his younger self, I guess, at the end <laughs> oh of Jason my, Takes Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep, mm-hmm. And no, I, the, the kills, uh, the characters feel a little bit, there's still like some stereotypes, but they feel a little bit more flushed out. And yeah. there's just really different, there's different It's different. With it. It's yeah. different. And I hate, like, uh, I, when People I talk to Adam Mark- different. That's the problem. You're dealing with like the same storyline Marcus added, not only did he add like a, a little bit to the Friday the 13th legend, he also kind of played around with what a lot of filmmakers do today, what James Wan does, Tarantino does. He kind of got those little, oh yeah, Evil Dead, all that stuff in there. The cinematic yeah. universe. Yes, right. it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Well, when I interviewed Adam Marcus, I asked him, I said, I'm asking you straight out right now, is Jason Voorhees a deadite? He goes, absolutely he is. Because that's because he had this whole backstory about Jason's mother getting the book and that, and I love that. And as a certainly as a thirteen year old who was into like that was the point I had gotten into the Evil Dead movies, and Sam Raimi could do no wrong. And mm-hmm. I think you feel that influence in kind of the kinetic style and kind of the action movie style that uh, Jason goes to hell. Oh yeah, T two was big, and it's it's mm-hmm. here. It's got you know the hidden T two. Oh, big time. Big All time. that body horror. It's it's influence and Mark. The thing I love about modern day Marcus is he's been reading what you have to say he's seen critical bashing fan, uh, like fan he loves bashing. the haters he said he said and because all the hater all the haters own two copies of his movie yeah he's mm-hmm. yeah with a vengeance he's come back like the new <laughs> shout factory the screen factory blu-ray he is just like here's all the things you've been bitching about here's why and now you sound stupid like that's that's what I kind of loved about oh it's absolutely what he's done and I mean the intro is his intro for that is perfect the best intros to any blu-ray I've ever seen where he's like thanks for buying this for like the fourth or fifth time (laughs) and that's it that's it that's just that's it oh I laugh so hard uh he also gets so he gives us we have in this opening scene one of the best like shot and cut like just typical crystal lake sequences ever he gives you exactly what you want right up front and then ends it with what every boy or girl in a schoolyard talked about for years like why don't they just send a SWAT team out to get Jason Voorhees yep. he kills Jason off right in the opening it's like whoa where are we going now mm-hmm. that could have been the movie and I would have been happy honestly because mm-hmm. it's so right. so exciting and, and so well done I think yeah this is like what people make fan films of is just this sequence like it's, yeah yeah it's terrific and that hair she's got this that hair, man. That 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 eight, that what nineties hair. That that yeah. special wow. agent, special agent Marcus. Like I know we're gonna talk about our crushes of the movie later, but this whole movie, as I called it on our Halloweenies episode, is Stone Cold Fox Junction. There, yeah. my 
My goodness. My goodness, yeah. And we get the, oh gosh, it just, it starts with the Jason thing, it explodes him, but then it gives you grossness that you've never seen on Friday the 13th when the coroner eats the heart. That's the only thing, that's the only thing in a movie where I have like, I guess. (laughs) He's like, oh. Well, you know, Mike, he did skip lunch. Come on. (laughs) I mean, come on. What I always take away from that scene is like, if the Grinch He's kind of like the Grinch, except the Grinch had a heart that was two sizes too small. Right. Jason Voorhees has a heart that's two sizes too big. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Poor thing. <laughs> yeah. And this is a whole different world. This is a whole reactive world. And we have where we have a news cha- channel thing. And the best thing maybe Adam Marcus gave us is Creighton Duke. Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah. on the news thing, what I love, like, what I re- again, from those contemporary interviews, Marcus implied that this movie took place in an alternate universe where the Friday the 13th movies existed, but they were based on the real Jason's exploits. Okay. This is absolutely ridiculous, and mm-hmm. I love it. And on the Creighton Duke thing, I watching it again at the drive-in, like, you could just put anybody in the duster and the hat, and they look cool. Like, right. they're a bounty hunter now. But sure. Stephen, Stephen Williams, his performance, particularly in the sequence where he's breaking uh, John D. LeMay's fingers. <laughs> right, anyway, yes. And when he realizes that he, uh, John DeLamay has like what it takes to beat Jason, that, that switch, that turnover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's a, it, it, in a movie full of pretty good performances, it's a standout. And mm-hmm. of the series too, like Creighton. Without Duke, a doubt. Top. And, and he's just loving being here and probably enjoy. I, I'd imagine he enjoys Friday the 13th with a for- performance like this. Happy to be in one of the movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the movie's weaker when it doesn't have him. When he shows up again, and it, and it maybe, yeah, one of the saddest things happening is he doesn't make it to the end of the movie. But spoiler alert! Spoiler. Yeah. There's yeah. also a great segment that's cut. There's one of the weirdest cuts in the movie is when he asks Jessica for the baby towards the, the climax, mm-hmm. and he says, "Just give me two minutes," and they just kind of stand there staring at each other. <laughs> well, there's a. And Adam Marcus said he'd love to get this cut out there one day, but nobody's going to let him do it just yet. There, he gives a, Crane Duke gives a whole monologue about how oh, Jason hmm. killed his fiance while they were camping in the 1960s, which completely throws the timeline right, off. Yeah. If you're if, if you're doing it uh, with the Paramount entries, but I really wish they'd put that back in there because <laughs> it's really kind of a rough cut when you watch it. Okay. Oh, wow. But oh, they yeah. shot the footage. It's out there. It's it's mentioned in my official Jason Goes to Hell movie magazine. Ooh. And if you take this dagger and stab it in here, it opens the portal of time and we can... Ch- yeah, that's where... Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> uh, that's pretty yeah. good, though. I'm impressed. R- right? Uh, I another, believed it. <laughs> another star of this is John D. LeMay, who is in Friday the 13th, the series. Yeah. Before this... Do you cool. guys, do you guys remember how they killed John D. LeMay off on Friday the Thirteenth? The series. I don't. I, I only. I don't I think did, I watched up to where he vaguely. Got killed, so. Yeah, I, I think I stopped watching before then, but I remember yeah. that happening and being like, "Really?" They turned him into because this must have been hot with Paramount at the time. They turned him into a little kid. Oh yeah, they did. Oh, okay. I remember that. So they didn't technically kill him off. He could because they wanted to bring him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. And he also he also taught me that. Perhaps if you're handcuffed behind your back, you could jump up and oh. I always thought that was the coolest move. It's, I was like, it's, Whoa, it's the best. That is that's how you do it <laughs> in a in a series in, in a movie with so many memorable like moments. Even if you don't like, even if the overall story is kind of tough to 
tough to get along with. You know, it's, it's weird. It's wild. There's a lot of stuff you have to, the suspension of disbelief. That moment mm-hmm. where he jumps over those handcuffs and grabs that gun is like, that belongs, like that belongs in a Terminator movie. It's so Although, I gotta say though, hadn't he already had his fingers broken by then? Yeah, that doesn't hold <laughs> up. Uh, <laughs> I guess he could have slipped off the handcuff, right? I, I guess. Right. I mean, yeah. I and and pulled the trigger on a gun. That, that I'm impressed, man. Doing that with broken fingers, good job. <laughs> he was he was a cool dude. He was supposed to be Tommy Jarvis, apparently, but that was a Paramount could not. Um, they only let you can take Jason, but not Tommy. We're holding on Tommy for his own series of films. Yes. Still waiting on that. He's he's sort of getting right now. No, yeah. With the Jarvis tapes and everything for, uh, uh, I think, uh, didn't, uh, no, uh, Tom McLaughlin wrote the Pamela Voorhees tapes for the video game. Right. Well, there's the there's the um, Never Hike Alone series, which mm-hmm. um, yes, he does. Uh, he's shown up. Todd Matthews now. shows Tom up. Matthews, yeah. yeah, and he's great in it. That uh, the great se- those are those movies are pretty much as good as the uh, regular films. I'm like, <laughs> seriously, are they better or worse than Jason Goes to Hell? Oh, I I love Jason Goes to Hell. So I I, I, I love being yeah, I, love I love being it. on a show with people who love Jason Goes. I love that movie. Yeah. I just, I have a soft, like I can pop any of the, you know, like New Blood's my like low, but I can, I can watch mm-hmm. it easily. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I decided this year when I was going through my box set on Twitter, I was like, you know what? I'm going to tweet about this and I'm going to say nice things about it as I go. Some mm-hmm. fun things <laughs> rather than. Well, see, yeah, my, mine was always Jason Takes Manhattan. And with the new box set, uh, literally this, this was a big epiphany the other day. Uh, I'm watching Jason Goes to Hell, no, or no, sorry, Jason Takes Manhattan, and I'm like, wow, I, I you know, I watch this all the time. It's really not that bad. I, I, I enjoy it. I, there's not one I don't like, to be honest. <laughs> I think the biggest problem with part seven and part eight, which are definitely, I find, to be low points of the series, For sure. is that they squander such terrific imaginative concepts as a as Carrie versus Jason mm-hmm. and sending Jason to New York City and be it because of budget or like I think part seven has just poor direction. I think John Carl Beekler is a much better special effects guy than yeah. he is a director. I just mm-hmm. don't think he has a lot of vision for that or had a lot of vision for that. Mm-hmm. And I think they kind of squander the imagination, which a series like this needs at this point. And then Jason goes to hell, I think makes good on the promise of both of them. Mm-hmm. Right. By uh, bringing Jason into a couple more, a little bit more of an urban setting and mm-hmm. bringing in a lot of the mysticism that it does. So like mm-hmm. the Friday the 13th films are not the Friday the 13th, the, rather the Nightmare on Elm Street films. They had nowhere to go but down because like they had to keep topping the dream sequences. So right. by five and six, mm-hmm. which I think are perfectly enjoyable films, that's just a, a series running out of steam. Yeah. But not quite as quickly as Halloween or... Well, my, my uh, Friday the Thirteenth did. Yeah, I I like Friday the Thirteenth better, to be honest, yeah. because I, yeah. I I I find J, uh, Freddy's Dead to be one of the worst movies ever made. I, wow. I fucking hate it. I fucking hate that movie. I just I can't watch it. I can't. I, what I would just, you rather watch, that or Halloween Resurrection? Oh, Halloween Resurrection. And oh, I hate fuck it. you. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I, I at least it's like it's it, that one's so fucking stupid. I saw in theaters, and I was remember they gave you the glasses. Oh, I was so God. excited for that, yeah. And I was like, "Fuck this movie! I, I hate that movie! I still hate that movie." <laughs> See, the thing I get mad when people diss on like Dream Child because I know that's one of the low points, but there's a lot 
I like to unpack from that movie. Oh, I, I think like Dream the, Child. I I think the biggest it. problem is they got the wrong Freddy in the Dream Child. They need one from like part two, and Dream Child becomes one of the best movies in the series. I, I would agree. I, I hate the makeup in part. I hate the makeup design of Freddy in part five. That's sure. one of my least favorite makeup designs. But my favorite makeup design is part two, like you mentioned. Yeah. And I think you needed a little bit of that darker Freddy. But I, yeah, but I another thing I love about part five is that it attempts, even if it kind of swings and misses, it attempts to bring more adult themes. Exactly. That's what like, like what Jason Goes to Hell does with adult yeah, characters. Right. They're not yeah. teenagers yes, anymore. Bringing it back to, thank you, Mike. Bringing it back to Jason Goes to Hell. I think it works on that. It, it, well, it doesn't always work, but at least I respect mm-hmm. the swing. Mm. Yeah, and, and like we said, it's, it's totally, I mean, we get the Crystal Lake settings and stuff, but in a way we haven't felt or seen before. Yeah. Right, the, we the, visited a couple diners throughout the series, mm-hmm. and I always kind of love that idea, like, even as a kid where you kind of create your own headcanon, your own mythology, what mm. was the town of Crystal Lake like? And mm. uh, some of the favorite sequences are in the diner where, you know, you see like these people were terrorized by Jason. And now this, you know, this diner owner has this great idea of this two for one Jason burger. Like, right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> a, that's, yeah. that's a, I think there's a lot of wit in this and there's a lot of meta humor that obviously Friday the 13th part six did first that. Right. But for the nineties, everybody gives a lot of credit to scream Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Jason Goes to Hell was, uh, it wasn't doing it quite as on the nose, but maybe even more subversively than yeah, Scream did. Scream captured it perfectly. It was all leading up there. You have McLaughlin Part 6. You have, I think Lucio Fulci's Cat in the Brain starts a big meta thing. You have mm-hmm. night, a new nightmare, this Jason Goes to Hell with the Burgers, and then Scream just kind of figured it out mm-hmm. with every everything. Yeah. But there was a lot of meta stuff going into the it took a younger screenwriter like kevin williamson who grew up on this stuff to make Mm -hmm. a movie like scream of course adam marcus was of that same same ilk but he wanted to he wanted to make it he wanted to make a evil dead movie exactly with jason (laughs) Voorhees. yeah Yeah. and And i appreciate that because i always say jason goes to hell is kind of if you think of it not necessarily as part of the friday the 13th series but like what if canon films tried to make their own friday the 13th Yes. said because canon always like to do like one of my other favorite movies is ninja three the domination it's like okay we're gonna come uh-huh. com- we're gonna combine flash dance the uh, fucking exorcist shokushugi movies mm-hmm. and you know uh, whatever else you know we're gonna throw all in a blender it's like and they do the same thing with jason goes to hell we're gonna uh what if we throw a friday the 13th movie with empire strikes back and a bounty hunter tv series and that's right. gonna be the movie now mm-hmm yeah, because yeah. they bring in, like, modern, like, we don't have, it's not as big now, but they used to be, like, hard copy and all those shows, and they try <laughs> right. to influence it there, which I think a kid watching now would be like, okay, news. But yeah, that, <laughs> I don't get the joke. <laughs> but that's that's pretty much what was all around. And, current I mean, I think, affair. I mean, we still have, affair, I mean those became cable news, there, and basically. He's, he's that trashy kind of, you know, that well, trashy kind of guy, I, but... I think that joke is kind of lost on young audience that don't remember the secret the, with the secret Voorhe- the secrets of the Voorhees house, which is totally a rip on as a Chicago boy. One of our favorite moments in uh, journalism when, <laughs> when Geraldo Rivera went into Al Capone's vault on live television, which I, I, I respect the gumption. I respect the ballyhoo, but found absolutely nothing there. Mm-hmm. There is a great in living color sketch where Jim carries Geraldo and he's trying to pretend like there's something interesting in the vault. That's pretty good. That's worth. <laughs> tracking down in uhf uh when weird al when they're like he's gonna open al capone's glove compartment he opens it he's like parking ticket exactly exactly yeah oh gosh and people will never understand the the nose oh gosh yeah 
Geraldo. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. But yeah, I mean, this movie encompasses so much. There's it's so much movie. It's very if you like action, <laughs> gore. Jason's there at the beginning. Jason's there at the end. Jason's in the coroner's office because Kane Hodder has a cameo where he calls himself what a pussy. Yeah, so, one my, yeah. One of my favorite moments of the movie. I yeah. love those two guys. I love the, the Kane and the other dude. I, I I always forget. I don't even know his name. I don't even think. But I, I love the the energy they give. You fucking pussy. <laughs> he was a fucking pussy anyway. And this guy looked and he gives back because he almost leaves him. He almost leaves him. But Jason yes. only people talking shit about him. Apparently not. The, well, because the great moment with Dean Laurie, the screenwriter, has a cameo as the other coroner. And right. he just starts talking about taking a shit and Jason Voorhees mask. And what I love about that sitting, and not only is it like a funny joke, but it kind of gives you a window into the world, this world where Jason Voorhees is this feared killer that mm-hmm. everybody in America knows about and that kids probably talk about in the schoolyard and to be, you believe that he's dead. He's on that slab and you get to say whatever you want to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now he's a, he's hell's assassin. He's a mystical hell baby. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he has taken possession of your partner. And right. why, I mean, why wouldn't you know that? Yeah. Right. Well, two things I'm not the biggest on with this movie. The score has never, I've yeah. tried to, and it just, it sounds like a temp score. Yeah. That's never grown on me. And Jason's look is a bit much. I, it, and this was like the look for Jason for like the longest time whenever they put him on something was this New Line Jason look. Mm-hmm. But well, Two points. I was glad they brought Harry Manfredini back. Right. So like, I think there's some great moments. The score does sound low budget. Yeah, right. it does. I'll agree with that. But like when you, they zoom in on the Camp Crystal Lake road sign as Agent Marcus is driving up to the cabin, when you get to hear those original Friday well, yes. 13th notes yes. again, because was it Fred Molin had done part seven and part eight and they had recycled some of Manfredini's stuff for mm-hmm. to have Manfredini back that for me is almost a bigger deal than having Sean Cunningham back because Manfredini <laughs> yeah. is kind of the soul of the series like that that Bernard Herman uh, ripping off that he does so well yeah and then on the subject of uh what, what, what was the other thing we Jason's oh, look. Jason's look I think this is an iconic look I love the fact that they made it so that the mask becomes a part of it, especially in a movie yeah. where Sean S. Cunningham said, get rid of the hockey mask. They right. actually made the mask like, like you it can't come you off. Can't, it won't come off. It's stuck there. And I would rather see that look on Jason, which I love that they made a full body suit, which mm-hmm. has a butt and everything. If you've ever seen those behind the scene pictures. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> they had, they put a butt on Jason, but I would rather have that than, I don't know, like, it's the same way how now every, uh, all artwork of Jason has to have a jacket on. And that jacket didn't come around until right. Freddy versus Jason, so get rid of well, that. Get out yeah. of here with that. Yeah. No, we don't need that. We need a uh, jacket. And this one, <laughs> did you guys ever read the Young Adult Crystal Lake series from the 90s? I'm aware no. of them, but I never read them. No, I, I did. Read them. And this, it kind of informs what this movie starts. Uh, they're, they're basically about kids or something around Crystal Lake that will find his mask, and when they wear it, they're possessed by Jace, the spirit of Jason, and that's kind of, I feel like that's an idea that cribs off of Jason. Oh, absolutely. Himself. And a little bit of part five. Right. Everybody always goes like five is this outlier in the series. It's not. It's this one. This yes. one is the most unique. Five is just isn't Jason. That doesn't make it the outlier. Weird. It is a weird movie, and I love it to yeah. death. But this is the one that's just like bonkers. This is your Halloween three. This is. But here is where here is where I think this movie is actually closer to the original four 
than part five is because there is a stereotype amongst people who don't really truly understand the franchise as far as I'm concerned. Have you guys ever read the script for the Friday the 13th part 3D script that was supposed to come out? Like it was going to be a Platinum Dunes release. A lot of people mm. rave about it. Mm, no. No. It's not that it's not that good. What it does is it recycles a lot of the unlikable characters from parts five, seven, and eight. So there's this misconception that the original Friday the thirteenth movies is a bunch of unlikable teenagers getting killed. Right. Which is simply not the case. Absolutely. The characters from one, yeah. two, three, and four are absolutely one hundred percent likable, except for a handful. Shelly. Yeah. Nobody likes Shelly. But they're just like, kids. Shelly gets the such they're, a they're bad rap. Poor Shelly. Oh, uh, no, when Shelly calls Vera a bitch, that's it. That's yeah. where yeah. I, I, yeah. he loses me. I, I, yeah. He loses me. But part, and part five kind of really finally brings in, and I think it's a lot to do with uh, Danny Stone, the director who uh, really liked Sleaze. He came from pornography. He's a he master of Sleaze. Yeah, he I did love, Savage he Streets. Savage Streets he, is one of, yeah. He just wanted to uh, put all these weirdo, unlikable characters in this movie, almost like a John Waters movie, except when you watch a John Waters movie, you get the feeling that, John Waters loves these weirdos. Right. You get the feeling that Danny Steinman <laughs> hates these weirdos. And now you've created this, now you've made Jason the anti-hero, where you hate all these characters, so you want to see them die. Whereas in the first four, you like these characters, so you're upset when Jason kills them. Mm-hmm. And if I right. may, I think Jason Goes to Hell kind of brings that back a little bit, even right. outside of yeah. the Stephen Culp character, who, yeah, he gets what he deserves. Yeah, but like, yeah. you don't want to see... Aaron Gray or Carrie Keegan. You don't want to see these guys get it. Well, even the mm-hmm. diner, they're trashy people. They're loud mouths, but, but they have likeable. that love. The they're love absolutely between likeable. them that, helps them. The, the relationship the between relationship. the owner and the little guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, that helps. That's so pure. It's you, so you pure. You forgive it's everything adorable. that they are. You forgive yeah. everything that they are loud mouth wise, and you enjoy because of that relationship. And you don't want to see the little guy get it in the fryer. Ugh. It's... Yeah, I liked his character. He was adorable. I love that. They were basically like the 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 mom and Junior in Part Five, yeah. except really likable and really because right. you hated Junior and you hated Mom. You probably know terrible. how to cook better. You hate everybody yeah. in Part Five. They're the well, worst. Do you hate Lana though? Lana, no. Lana. Which, one, which one's Lana? Lana's the, the one that uh, shows the, her boobs a lot. The diner with yeah. the. The the other EMT guy. Oh, yeah. All right. No, she all right. But no, they're trouble. You can see they're trouble. <laughs> but Demon, that was my boy. No, Demon. Yeah. Demon, I always like to think that he played in like the coolest band this side of Cameo. Because you see a bass oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, his yeah. van. So I always figured him, and he's wearing leather pants in the middle of Chris Lake. So I always figured him for a musician. <laughs> he's got thing. the DeBarge well, jacket. Yeah, they got that yeah. song, too. So, I mean, we, Brandon and I have shared we, many, many love, many hours of love for that song. <laughs> As I have always said, and I'll say it for the 80 billionth time, this is one of the most memorable scenes in cinema history. Amen. Why? Because you'll never forget it when you see it. So it's undeniable that that, that statement is true. That's so let's take off. Let's go to our superlatives that we always do for these. So uh, favorite kill. It's the tent. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, well, yeah. the, the people fucking... And that was not in the theatrical version. That didn't get to be seen till the uncut. Mm-hmm. Right, because what Adam Marcus was told when he was shooting it was New Line knew they were going to release two versions to VHS as a kind mm-hmm. of a kind of a kind of a grifting money making scam. Right. Mm-hmm. So they said, make this as nasty as possible. We're going to give the theatrical version. We're going to put that on VHS, and I'm going to release the unrated version. So we're going to get every video store in America to buy both versions. And mm-hmm. that is part of how the tent death 
came around. And what I love about the tenth Ed is that not only is it imaginative and kind of trumps just about anything in yeah. the series outside of maybe Savini's influential work on the first one mm-hmm. is that it also is very in a movie that kind of tries to deviate from the Friday the 13th formula. Mm-hmm. It's kind of giving the audience exactly right. what it wants. A hot naked chick having sex, getting killed in an inventive and absolutely terrifically gory way. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's surprising. It was just like, oh, wow. And I at the time, I was newer to horror stuff when I first saw this movie. And a lot of the Friday the 13th, I would watch on USA up all night up to that point. Oh, so classic. Seeing, seeing uncut like this, just what? And then the fact that <laughs> one of the little details I love is that the it's a corner at that point. But as he walks to the tent to kill, he steps on the condom on the ground. Uh, yeah. That yeah. Nice... It's the nineties. Everything was about safe sex back right. then. Mm-hmm. But these kids these days weren't, haven't had it drilled into their head enough that sex can kill you. Right. Uh, what, what was the weakest kill in the film? Well, I would probably say for me, it's because uh, I wish they would have shown more of the writer get pronged. I, I, Cause I mean, it's, a, it's such a cool idea mm-hmm. and it ends up being like, well, it's weird because you see the face, you see his face smashed into the, 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 whatever he's laying on the stretcher thing. I feel like that scene should have been really fucked up, really grotesque. And yeah. it, it ended up being like, Oh, that was like, Ooh, that would hurt. And that would be terrible. But they should have gone there with that kill. It's not the worst kill in the film. No opinion, at all, but I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Gotcha. Think the same way about the Friar death because the yes, diner right. the diner massacre in the uncut version you get the brains hitting the ceiling mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then you get the the punch to the face with uh, the girl who owns the diner yep. and then you get him dunking him in the fryer but you never really and I I don't know why they shied away from it at this point perhaps in Adam Marcus's extended cut it's there like you never really get to see the result of getting dunked in that fryer which right. I imagine would be pretty fucking nasty. Mm-hmm. That's true. I had put for fun Kane Hodder because it's off screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but the joke sure. leading up to it is so good. Yes, the joke leading up to it is really good. Who's the yeah. biggest douchebag in the movie? Well, I think this. Is a, I think we're all. I think we're across the board on this one too. Yeah, Culp. Culp. Yeah, but he's so good at it. He's really great. He's a great character. Like, great. I, at, he's awesome. He's awesome because he's so awful. I normally hate when they introduce, particularly in Friday the Thirteenth and Slash movies, the, the the character that is there because you want to root for the killer. It's Charles in Part Eight. It's Bernie uh, Lomax in Part Seven. Right. Like you always they 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 started to introduce these characters, so now you get to cheer for the villain as this person gets it. But Culp is such. And as, you know, somebody of my age, he is such a representation of the Geraldo Rivera Inside Edition reporter that he plays it to a T. He's got those Kennedy looks, those mm, network yeah. TV fucking looks. He almost doesn't need to act. It's just him. He just <laughs> oozes you, it. But he, you hear so much he, about he it Keegan, it's like even worse. Oh, yeah. You yeah. see him behind there, he's like, yeah, I just did it. And, I fucked and then I fucked her daughter. Yeah, and his yeah. delivery on that line is so good. And then oh, yeah. it's, it's oh, like God. Bob Newhart. It's Bob Newhart level when he's talking to the guy on the phone, like, what are you, what are you freaking out about? What you, like, because you don't hear the other guy on the other line, but you, right. have, you, you can totally hear in your head what this guy is saying to him, his producer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah. The friend zone, who would you want to hang out with? I'm going to go with Creighton Duke. What a night that would be. Yeah, if you if he doesn't break your fingers. 
It might be worth it. I mean, I would probably go with John John LeMay. Unless he puts me in a pink dress, then I well, don't know. <laughs> he might. He might. I would go with John LeMay. I, I really like him. I just like him in general in those in the Friday the 13th series. Well, I said friend zone, not crush, Jimmy. Oh, <laughs> darn it. Shoot. Oh, so, okay. Never mind. He would, like, yeah, no. he would be my friend zone. I John like LeMay is very likable, but I think me and Creighton Duke would have a wild night out. because, And I don't yeah. think that's acting coming from... Uh, Stephen Williams, because uh, when I talked to Adam, when I talked to Adam Marcus about him, he said that when he came to his house to do the interviews for the documentary, the dark hearted Jason Voorhees that he's doing about the making of uh, and the legacy of Jason Goes to Hell, he showed up, he came to the door shirtless with a bottle of booze in one hand and a knife in the other. And a friend of mine who went to one of these X-Files conventions in Chicago said that he saw him at, you know, hanging out at the bar afterwards and he was absolutely hammered and was just having the <laughs> best fucking time. So That's great. That's amazing. Who was your crush? Well, I said John LeMay. John I mean, LeMay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this is kind of, I, I, I would say, you know, I, I would go, you know who I like? I was going to say Carrie Keegan, but who's the girl with the gun? Wait, so, I want to say her name is Vicky. Yeah, yeah the, I, li- I like her. I like her. She's cute and she's sassy. There and you go. Can, yeah, I like her. I'm going with her. I mean, this, like I said, this movie's Stone Cold Fox Junction. Yeah, but like <laughs> the, the hitchhikers, man, everyone. Yeah, everybody. Like the two hitchhikers. I always have to make a list. Like I'd have to rank it. Like you know, the two hitch, the the two hitchhikers. But hey, then, hey like, there were three hitchhikers, man. Oh, uh, you, you, you don't can know. Take them all. You look can here, take them Tony all. Tony the Wonder Llama is a <laughs> handsome devil. Without, but I don't need that. I don't need that competition hanging around. You know. Fair yeah, enough. There you go. I mean, I would almost lean towards Vicky, but maybe I'll go. I mean, Carrie Keegan, but only when she's wearing the cop uniform with the boots and the <laughs> white T-shirt. Right. Yes. But, oh, you know what? I'll give it since you get you t- chose Vicky. I'm going with Aaron Gray. Oh, oh wow! Boom. Fair enough. I, there I, I, you go. I'm gonna. I'm not go outside. Older women are my weakness. Go with the wow. outside the staff. I'm gonna go with the lonely redheaded hitchhiker uh, going to Crystal Lake because oh she's cute. Yeah, she needed she's company. A she needed company. Yeah, you. I liked cool. how I liked how forward she was. Oh yeah, she's like, hey, mm-hmm. if you come, you're gonna get down. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> we you come, you're gonna come. Yeah. We, no. What? We get 30-minute rotations in the tent. It's okay. <laughs> All right. So disappointment. Someone you maybe wanted killed wasn't or just didn't get it the way you were hoping they would be killed. I'm turning this one on its head because I wish Creighton Duke didn't die. Yeah, I, I would go with that. Well, All the, the deaths are like people get it that should and they get it pretty nasty. I've loved the concept of the Jason Hunter since part four, and the Jason Hunters always go out like punks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, Craig I Duke gives a little bit better of a fight. He's killing that. Then he's killing me. He's killing me, Rob. Right. <laughs> in part yes. four, he's he's with the hand, I mean, he handcuffs him like, and Jason's Jason's a powerful like, dude. So the fact that he can hold on to him that long before to get his back broken, but like that's a disappointment because I would have loved to see Duke like at least come back. Like, you think he's dead, and he comes back for one more like, uh, what's his name? Like Mario Van Peebles in the director's cut of Jaws Four. Right there, you uh, go. yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you on that. I think it, that was a wasted opportunity because it's such a great character. He's Indeed. a really good character. He yeah. could have gone to space too. Hell yeah! Hell I would have yeah. rather, rather seen Creighton Duke go to space than uh, Michael right. than Jason Voorhees. Heck mm-hmm. yeah. I'm going to mention something I forgot, but listeners might want to hear us talk about the mustache shaving. 
when yeah. the heart transfers. Yeah. So transfers what a weird fucking scene. I, Adam Marcus, he, he said he did it on purpose. Yeah. I always felt it was a reshoot thing where the guy came back to shoot and he didn't have the mustache, <laughs> so they did that. I don't know because that movie is so weird. Well, you know, to be fair, they did have that movie finished like a year and a half before it was released. So okay. you know what? I never even thought about that until right now, and it's blowing my mind. But that <laughs> was, but as a as a young pervert at 13 years old, when I when I saw that, I was like, oh, what's going on here? And I told myself. <laughs> You know what? This is probably something I'm going to understand when I get older. And I'm older now. And I still don't necessarily understand what was going on in that sequence. Like, I know people have, like, shaving fetishes and stuff like that. But I don't know yeah. why why Jason didn't want it. Didn't Maybe want to kiss he wanted him. a clean, but the corner has a mustache. So it's like, it's not. It does. It, 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 I wouldn't surprise me if it's a, that's Brandon Good point. That's a reshoot because, like I said, that movie I was reading about it. It was shot. It was finished in like spring of '92, mm-hmm. but like they went back for reshoots and they held on to it until August. They wanted to release it on August 13th, and then it almost got pushed back till September 3rd, as of oh. the Fangoria article that I was reading. But they must have decided, well, we're not going to make you make more money when you put these things out on Friday the 13th. Absolutely, right, right, yeah. Okay, last one is the funniest line or moment in the film. I got the Creighton Duke, Jason Voorhees, like a little girl in the pink dress. That... Another bizarre why? What? Okay. Mm-hmm. His lines in a movie from filled... something else, but <laughs> hey, it's good. In a movie filled with bizarre why? All right, okay. I'd go with the line about being a big old pussy before <laughs> they kill Kane Hodder, and then right? the cut to coroner, or no, SWAT agents, dead. Dead. You know, coroner, yeah. missing. Like, I, that, 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 always, <sighs> that always tickles me. I think going just for me growing up as a kid watching those shows, I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that just the shows in general, just a hard copy, a current affair, inside edition, all that stuff. I just, I thought that was so bizarre and, and wild. And it nails it. Like, it nails, it nails the tone so Absolutely. well. Absolutely. So I love that. I love that stuff. Awesome. So there we go. We've done another Friday the 13th here. Jimmy and yeah. welcoming Mike. So oh, thank next- you. I, I I could talk about this movie for another hour if we really wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> so the next Friday the Thirteenth, Jimmy, is August. Wow, 20, really? Twenty one. That's the next time the calendar hits it. We have left to talk the original takes Manhattan and Freddy versus Jason. Those are the only ones we have ah, not talked about. We haven't talked about the original. Wow. We haven't I, talked about the original. Do we save that for like last? I would say since we're kind of going out of order, maybe we should save that for last. I would yeah. say. I would say let's ask Jason what he said. Thanks. Um, <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Uh, this was for our uh, Flicks for Fans, uh, Friday the 13th. Last movie I saw in the theaters before COVID was the original mm-hmm. Friday the 13th for oh. our little thing. Um, what a bang. I would say let's do let's you know what let's grab it let's take Jason takes Manhattan Manhattan that'll yeah, be let's do Manhattan August twenty twenty one now that I like it a little really bit come, let's do those. it uh, excellent so all right that'll take care of another episode the first time it's been on the Brandon Peters show before we check out thank you both for joining me for this it's always so much fun to talk about these movies Mike where can people keep up with your work find you on the socials and whatnot. 
You can find me on Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt. You can find me on Facebook at Mike Vanderbilt. Find me on Instagram at M.A. Vanderbilt. And of course, tune in to the Halloweenies podcast every month. We're wrapping up. We're doing uh, when this, the day this episode airs, you can also go over to the Halloweenies podcast and listen to me talk about Jason Goes to Hell again. But we're Woo. also drop, we're also dropping our Jason X episode, which uh, I did with a paralyzing hangover. Oh, and um, <laughs> it still didn't make that movie any more enjoyable. Uh, oh, as far as, as, as far as the new line entries, I am a Jason Goes to Hell guy. But you can All find right. me over to Halloween's podcast this year and from now on. Yeah, please come check it out. Halloween's, I think you guys, as uh, aficionados at a series, would really appreciate the deep mm-hmm. dives we get to do on this show. Excellent. Cool. And yeah, if you want that extra hour, Mike promised, it's right over there on Halloweenies. So, <laughs> nice. three, I think it's like three hours. I like think it's twice as oh, long as oh, the actual gosh. fucking movie. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Jimmy, you still on the internet? You still do things? I'm still doing things. All I'm right. JoeBlow.com, ArrowInTheHead.com. I uh, have two shows on Viddy Space. I have Sound Scary. Not something scary. Oh, sounds scary. <laughs> sounds scary is on Amazon sounds Prime, scary. Jimmy. And so four of them are am- on Amazon uh, okay. Prime. Nicely done. We just had our season finale with Kevin Smith. It was amazing. And then on Friday the 13th this year, we had, and it will be free on YouTube, on the Video Space YouTube and the Video Space site. We're doing um, something stony where me and my co host <laughs> just get stoned and we're going to talk Friday the 13th because it's on Friday the 13th. So woohoo. Yeah. Excellent. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. You can find the past Friday the 13th episodes on Cults and Cavalcade podcast, including interviews with Todd Farmer, Larry Zerner, and Kyle Davis. This show returns Monday with an all-new episode. Until then, always remember to keep the positivity in your online film discussion. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at thebrandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at thebrandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.